How, what's your approach to adding dogs to the pack? I mean, obviously, you have to see at the pack dynamic and who is the who is the dog in there that you know, and and how they interact. And when they when you bring that one, I would definitely do it outside of the home first, and maybe take them on a walk and see how they interact. And and then you're gonna see what issues are you're gonna have inside the house. You know, obviously there has to be boundaries of like, hey, if you're gonna be petting this dog, make sure this one knows that it's not his turn. It's gonna be this dog's turn. And you could take turns with each dog and they have to view you as the main person there calling the shots. Mm. And I think that's the hardest part when you bring in a, a new dog. If one of the dogs there feels like he's leading the pack, he's going to be checking that dog, making sure that he establishes himself as the main one, mm -hmm. you know, and I do see that a lot. And, you know, a lot of people, they, they'll bash, like they'll, they'll talk about, you know, Cesar Milan and how he's, how he spoke a lot about, you know, the being the pack leader and this and that, but it really does come down to that. I mean, you see it all the time. If you're around nothing, they're all good. And all of a sudden you leave, you leave the equation and you leave them alone. They're going to, they're going to become what they become. And th if there's two males there and, you know, if there was a female there and she was in heat, I guarantee you those two males will probably end Let's up fighting. Get it. This that go and get it yeah. with no hesitation. Yeah. This that never quit. Yeah. Start that elevation. Yeah. This that process. Yeah. What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Elevated Canine Podcast. I am here with my co-host, Roel Guerra. And today, we have the pleasure of having my brother, Tejan, from Kaizen Canine, all the way from Atlanta. What's up, bro? What's up with y'all? I'm happy to be here in L.A. How, how's your how's L.A. treating you? Good. So, shout out to Chris from Canine Logic. He's been hosting me. And it's been sweet, bro. This place is like the capital of dogs. I feel like there's no other place in the country where there's this much passion for dogs. That's awesome. So are you going to be over here pretty soon? I could see myself getting a, a spot out here in L.A. for sure. That's cool, man. Nice. That's cool. That's cool. So I first uh, saw Tejan on a TikTok, and he was rocking his, uh, I want to say it was an underdog uh, apron or vest. It was one of the two. You didn't and, even uh, have the apron yet. Yeah, it was a vest then. And I was like, oh, this dude's rocking the underdog uh, vest. I'm going to hit him up. And I, then I saw his content and I was like, yo, this dude's killing it. So, uh, yeah, man, you're doing amazing things over there with, uh, you know, the content and everything. Uh, well, that's what I see. I didn't, I don't see your dog training stuff, but as far as like with clients, but your content is amazing, man. Thank you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about, you know? So I was inspired. The whole reason I'm here in LA is interesting. I had to drop off Vic Blends, which is a barber from Atlanta. He goes around the city giving away free haircuts. Mm -hmm. So the reason that I even did free dog training is because I saw his concept where he basically would go stand along the Atlanta belt line and try to give out a free haircut. Uh, and I took it for dogs. It's nothing, you know, I didn't, I like to give pay homage where inspiration comes yep. from and it came from him and the rest is history. So I was doing free dog training at the park. Even though I was busy with dogs already, it wasn't that I didn't have a business that was doing very well. It was more so I wanted to start. The truth is I wanted to see how I could be more impactful got out there did it and it seemed like it was a great response it was also a great time to be on tiktok now things change and things are really right. hard to go viral but right time right place right concept and then the rest is history yeah i love vic bro i think he's killing it yeah uh, I, i'm, I'm I, I love looking at have you ever seen uh, yeah vic? i follow vic Blitz. okay yeah. yeah 
he's killing it. Uh, I think that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, I I didn't see too many dog trainers doing that. I think you were probably one of the first ones that I saw. Yeah, you know, doing the the free dog training stuff. What was some of the things that um that you encountered the most when it came to you know running into people out there? I think the common denominator with folks and their dogs is that they don't know how to lead their dog. They don't know that their dog is not equipped to be making the best decisions in, in, in our world. I think a lot of people give the dog a little bit too much control too soon. Right. It's like giving the keys to your car to your toddler. You know, it's like, why would I let this toddler drive me around the city? So for some reason with dogs, people don't think like that. Um, so common denominators, people can get their dog to stay in a position, whether it's by walking by my side, sit down, whatever. Uh, just a lack of communication. As you know, you have to have crystal clear communication with animals for them to understand. It needs to be predictable. It needs to be controllable. And a lot of people don't stay with it or stick with something that makes sense to them. Right. One of the first videos I saw uh, of yours was you were in a park and you had a sign, I believe, free dog training. Mm -hmm. And a couple had walked by and their dog was pulling them across the field. Um, I feel like that's a very common issue that you see in public, people who, whose dogs are just taking them everywhere. What is the most common issue that you've run across when you do your free dog training in public? And my second question would be, how many people refuse the help before you finally get someone who actually wants it? It's funny. I'm going to start off with the refusal because we went to, before LA, we went to Austin. And Austin's supposed to be like this whole nice town. That's where I got the most no's. Like people <laughs> just straight up said no. Uh, we're going to get on average about four to like eight no's before yes. I think we want to make a video of how many people say no. Yeah. Because I think people don't go out there and become vulnerable because they don't like rejection. Mm -hmm. But I just straight up ask, hey, I'm out here. I'm giving that free dog training. Do you need help? To someone that is getting pulled across, this, like it's hard to deny it. Right. It's more so sometimes people on their phone, avoidant. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the most common issue that I'm seeing is that people don't know how to use a leash. Yeah. They don't know when to use a leash, how to use it. I think it is a core foundation, like a core piece of owning a dog is how to use the leash. Right. Yep. Yep. I think uh, just from talking to you earlier, I think that we, as dog trainers, we, at least me, I tend to over, overdo things sometimes. And uh, so one thing that I did want to talk to you about was we us dog trainers you know we go a lot on like markers and this is like the science of the dog training and this is something that i've been on the last couple of days because i seen robert cabral post something that said there's no place in science has, science no has yeah science has no place in dog training and it was interesting to me because uh after that another trainer is like hey can you review this video and you know see you know what what you think about my markers or something like that and i was but i saw the demeanor of the dog and i was like well look before even that i want to yeah let's talk about like the demeanor of the dog uh forget about the markers like are you having a good like is a dog having a good time or is he confused or, or what is he when it comes to pet dog clients do you think do you go a lot do you go deep into all that or is it like just put on your leash this is how you're going to correct the dog say good or say no whatever how, how do you do it i try to be as methodical as possible but treat it like it's a fifth grader so with, with the parents or the owners of the dog i try to treat it like a fifth grader so i try to keep it dumbed down but i do don't i'm not i don't think humans or animals do well with gray areas so i try to be like hey it needs to be like this and nothing else but I know when I say that, people are still going to do a little bit less than what I say. So, for example, something that's a little bit excessive, but I say is never feed your dog from a bowl. Right. Right? 
But if I were to say majority of your meals need to be hand fed, it would turn into half of the meals being hand fed. So it's like I almost have to take that extreme so that people do the majority. You see what I mean? Yeah. So I almost have to say do more than mm-hmm. what I expect for them to do maybe a little bit less than my expectations. Shoot for the moon, end up in the stars. Exactly. Like that. mm-hmm. yeah. That's the first time I've heard that. It's good. So when I'm training dogs, it's very simple for me. Hand feed. You do need to have some clarity and communication. You don't want to speak too much. Let's try to get the dog to do it on its own for a bit. And then let's try to show the dog so that it's motivated. I don't like to create flat dogs. Um, and okay. I and there are some dogs that need to be flattened out. Don't get me wrong. But for the most part, I try to create a dog that is happy and to do it. But if you have a three-year-old husky that's buying their owner, the dog needs to be a little flattened out. Right. You know, the dog does need to know that they're not in control of things and that they need to respect their owner. So that's my approach to dog training. The history of how I've learned how to train dogs. I've worked for two dog training companies, franchises that were pretty much show the dog how to do it. No food, no nothing. I felt like I don't work for free. Dogs shouldn't. They should at least work towards something they enjoy. Mm -hmm. So then I reached out. Shout out to Garrett from American Standard. I know a lot of trainers probably think he's funny. and But I think that he has been a great inspiration for me because that led to me learning about Bart and Michael Bellin's program, uh, Naple Poe. And then after that, uh, that's kind of how I'm here. You know, Chris and K- Chris and Jacqueline from Canine Logic. Uh, I went to their school, learned more about how to get more out of pet dog training. My, I, How do you guys feel about all the seminars and education that's kind of like, being flooded in the market right now for dog trainers. I feel like I feel it can be very beneficial, but I also feel like some people get stuck in the one system of training or one style of training. And then they try to um, only do that one thing where there's, of course there's multiple ways to get to one destination. Uh, But I think it's good to maybe broaden your horizon a little bit to different styles of training instead of just sticking to one thing. Um, my whole approach to dog training is eat the meat and spit out the bones. You're not going to like everything from everybody that you learn. Um, but I think it could be dangerous to do, to go to a seminar and only want to do that with every single dog that comes across your way. Cause it might work with one, but it may not work with another. And that's just my opinion. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I, I mean, a couple of things. Um, first off, if I'm not seeking, con- you know, continuing seeking knowledge, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to basically flatline. I'm not going to move forward. So I'm always looking for who does it better. Um, Now, as far as uh, going to seminars and whatnot, I think that one of the biggest mistakes that I have done in the past was, you know, attending a seminar and then wanting to switch completely how I trained. And then it wasn't me anymore. You know what I'm saying? So I almost like lost touch with uh, with my own my own spin or style on it. On, on how I do dog training and I had success before that so the reason why I changed it was I don't, I don't know maybe because that name was bigger in the industry and I wanted to you know I viewed that name as somebody who I wanted to become one day and uh and I was miserable for like three months man I was I was I, I, I it wasn't fun to train my dog and as soon as I switched back to how I was doing things I started having fun again so I you know I made a post today uh, about that like don't go to seminars and then decide to just switch everything that you're doing because you're going to lose yourself. You know, you still got to have that part of you. You know, I could explain to you, hey, this is how I would do it. But then 
somehow it's going to become your own of how you do it. You know, it's not going to be exactly how I've been doing it. And that's fine because we're all different and dog training is an art. So your art is going to be different than my art. So that's how I see it. Uh, but we, I, I believe that it is very important to continue your education, keep getting out there, keep trying to learn, even from like, even like right now, there's the whole pure positive thing going on. I want to see what they're doing. I want to see, I want to see if they're fixing aggression with just that. And if I could take something from it, all right, let's, let's try it, you know? Yeah. I think my, my opinion is that the education is good for it to get out there. I think this is the only industry where we don't have standards on what things are. So the, a group of people trying to create standards is great. It actually is great for regulation. It's great for what is going to come because it seems like people are going to want to regulate as it should be. Um, so if we can all create standards or what we all can agree on basic foundational education, mm -hmm. then the industry can progress. Uh, <clears throat> I also think it's important to keep the integrity of being a teacher and coaching other people. And it's also great for you to go out and accomplish things, you know, like Oscar obviously is well accomplished. So I value his opinion on my dog. You know, so I, you, you have to ask yourself, whoever you're learning from, like, if I'm going to sport dog trainer, have they won? Have they trialed? Yeah. If I'm going to a pet dog trainer, have you done anything obedience wise that is going to be beneficial for dogs? And one thing I really hate and I like been thinking about is that people say that obedience doesn't fix behavioral issues. Really? People say that like they really believe that obedience doesn't fix behavioral issues. So if I have a reactive dog and it learns to walk on the leash and it learns that there's a consequence for reacting and it's very well communicated, it's not going to help. Of course it is. Mm -hmm. The dog is not going to make better judgment calls. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just don't understand this whole thing where obedience doesn't solve behaviors. I get that a place command is not going to solve aggression, but I think that's the extreme. Mm-hmm. Which all of you point on that? You go ahead, bro. Um, I think I think obedience is going to help you manage a lot of behaviors. I don't think it's going to fix. Like there are some behaviors you just can't fix. Um, I tell a lot of my clients, oh, my, I, I have a dog aggressive dog. I have an American Pit Bull Terrier. That is a behavior problem. Am I going to be able to fix her dog aggression? No, but I can manage it through obedience. And that's my stand on it. I, being able to manage, like I had someone tell me, um, you teaching your dog to focus heel past its reactive triggers is not solving the problem. I said, no, it's not fixing the issue, but did my dog react? No, because it has something else to focus on. Did that help the, did that help the owner? Did that help me? Yes. Big time. Did it solve, did it stop a potential fight? Yes, it did. Did the, did the obedience fix the behavior? Did it fix the aggression? Did it fix the activity? No, but it helped avoid it. But what is fixing? <clears throat> right. Exactly. It's, I, I think fixing is, um, in my opinion, changing the view, changing the way the dog views whatever issue that is, another dog, right. right? So, for example, if I taught my dog how to heal next to me, um, before I would always say, you're not correcting him for reacting, you're correcting him because he left the heel position, mm. right? And that's something that I feel like it's used a lot. All right. So, 
However, through rewards, like, for example, my dog, look, like, I have something that's of value. And that's the first thing that I think we need to do is create some sort of value and nobody does it. And it's hard to do it, especially when we're working with pet dogs, because they don't have the same time and, you know, the attention to detail that we have. However, say you did build enough quality, uh, enough uh, equity with for whatever you have. And the dog looks at another dog. He's about to react. You see it when he's about to react and you click or you yes and you pay him for that naturally what would that tell you that you're rewarding him for for that right? right for viewing that however if you do that enough times now the dog is going to see that and what is he going to do gonna he's going to anticipate that you're going to reward that you're going to reward him right now if you had a, a uh, behavior already instilled in him like a focus heel and he knows that that also pays him or just a contact heel, he'll look at that dog. He might come right back to you and start offering, anticipating the reward that might come, right? So now I feel like you're kind of changing the way the dog views. Counter conditioning. The, you're, yeah, yeah, the way the dog views the issue. Now, can you correct them for it? A thousand percent, you can also correct that dog for looking at that dog or whatever. So there's a couple ways to go about it. And depending on the client and depending on the dog is is going to decide, in my opinion, what way we're going to take. I agree. Uh, I think that it's very a uh, principle I think of when I think of behavior is that energy can't be destroyed. It can only be transferred. So when you're talking about fixing behaviors, it can only be transferred. The dog likes to look, lock and load and launch on other animals. Mm-hmm. So all we have to do is interrupt as early as possible and we have to transfer that energy into something else. Right. That's what we're doing as dog trainers. You can't tell someone don't make this decision. You're like, all right, that decision is not the best one. You should be using this. Mm -hmm. So whether using reinforcers too, you know, Mm -hmm. both positive and negative, you can push the dog into a wanted behavior. I think that's crucial for pet owners, sport owners. The dog needs to be pushed into the right decision. Right. Kind of like shaping the child. Hey, what time is it? The dog, the child, not the dog, the child looks at the time, time to do homework. Right. Mm -hmm. So we ask questions, child, comes up with answer by himself right so then now we don't have to nag them all the time right now let's go back to um behaviors though so if your dog knows a downstay is that going to help him with dealing with uh impulse control or just you know a thousand percent if my if i can get my dog super amped up and then all of a sudden say down boom and he drops Mm -hmm. and he cannot move now and and i could keep moving whatever i have whatever toy i have and he cannot move he cannot take that toy until i tell him okay you can go again that's a behavior i taught him to downstay so of course it can help and how you implement that in your training is whether it's going to benefit you so to you know deal with other issues that come along and i think they're all building blocks to a relationship yep when your dog is able to have that much impulse control, it shows a level of respect, it shows a level of trust, and it shows a level of hope that if I do what I'm supposed to do, my partner, my teammate shows up for me and we play. The only reason it works is because the dog believes. So whether you're using whatever, food, toys, tools, the dog needs to believe. Right. Um, I agree, though. I personally think that obedience plays a crucial role in changing behaviors. And my clients, they've seen it. I'm here because I had to train um, Vic's dog. He had so a UK bully. Not a UK, uh, XL Bully, which is banned in the UK. I wanted to ask for your opinion on that. Mm-hmm. But essentially it was uh, getting into fights with its sibling. We used obedience to help the dog to learn mm-hmm. where it needs to be to manage how they interact in the home. We don't leave toys on the ground. We don't do these things so that there is no more fights. 
right? But no one can ever guarantee that this dog yes, that sir. instinctively likes and has a drive towards other animals is not going to try it. Right. Of course, we're going to manage it. Of course, the dog can go into a mall with a whole bunch of other people and other dogs and not react. But that's right. because of the obedience. Right. Right. So that's my point on it. I think that, you know, obedience does play a pivotal role. But what's going on with the bullies is insane. Do you guys believe that the ban is justified? What's your standpoint on the the UK ban on XL bullies? Go ahead, Ro. Um, I might, I may, you know, this is a controversial, I have a controversial take on this. Um, I feel as if, and, and we talked about this earlier, but I feel as if the, the community as a whole allows their dogs to get in these situations where the dogs are biting people and fighting other dogs for the better of the breed, my opinion, then maybe it's, it's good that those people aren't allowed to have them. Um, because these dogs got into the hands of the wrong people, dogs are getting killed. People are getting hurt. And because of it, the government felt like it needed to do something. Now, another take on it is this is just a money grab. Cause you got to get the dog license. If you have one, you need to get it fixed. You got to pay these, these, uh, fees and stuff like that when you have this dog. So it really depends on who you ask. Um, I am not a fan of breed specific legislation because it isn't just XL bullies. If you look at what's getting banned, it's, it's just like the, 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 the bands here, it's blockhead animals with this kind of stature and this kind of appearance. So it's bullies, it's staffies, it's, uh, some corsos, some mastiffs, anything that might even remotely look like a pit bull or a bully is going to be banned in the UK starting the 1st of January. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's super subjective, the presentation or how they look. I think that's mm -hmm. super unfair. Personally, in life, I'm not with bans on things. I am for rules where they need to be put. Like you said, kids are getting hurt. We see them online. Mm -hmm. We see people literally nagging their dog to do something. Mm -hmm. And we see them running and, and attacking horses. But I think that's just a sign of poor management. I think to own certain dogs, we need to make training mandatory. I agree. And for that to be meaningful, trainers would need to, need to be certified by local government. And then we can see a, a big change. And it won't be so much about breed specifics. Right. And I think, like you said earlier, that the rescues are playing a big role in what's going on. Mm -hmm. Labeling some dogs as, I guess, painting the picture that these dogs are not predators mm -hmm. right and that yeah. they don't have a history of animal aggression that's the problem i have as a trainer with bullies and the people are not just bullies bully mixes any dog that is being discriminated against typically i just feel like the rescues are setting them up for mm -hmm. like failure mm -hmm. yeah i mean th there's a there's a bunch of dogs that we've come across that got you know it was in a rescue and they got put with a with one of our clients and they had no i mean one of them had a game pit like a, i mean this dog had was as soon as it saw another dog it would scream like how guapo does yeah. wanting to go after another and dog and nothing you could do with and she got it from a rescue you know and you're just like just because of your bleeding heart that you want to save and you want to put out this story of this dog that you know is in rescue now and it's going through a lot and you're gonna place them in this situation where something really like he she he would redirect on her and bit her a couple times and uh, so it was, it was a big it was a big problem, you know. Now, I was where I was raised. I grew up kind of, you know, in the hood. And mostly all the dogs that we saw were some type of bully mix, pit bull, bully mix. And 
we weren't educated on you know these dogs and what they were bred like i mean it, we were just we just had dogs and we enjoyed this dog pulling me everywhere and looking cool with it that was just part of the culture that you grew up in so unfortunately that has led i believe to a lot of bad dogs you know because dogs get bred and certain traits get passed on and that's where we're at now i'm not trying to say that all these dogs came from you know from the hood but i'm just saying like that's how a lot of these shelter dogs end up there because we're not educated on dogs they don't you know we don't really know i mean when the female comes into heat that something can happen like we just we were never taught that essentially it's a whole bunch of people who have loaded guns and are uneducated yep and we have loaded guns right and i think that some regu regulation is good for okay. that i think that <clears throat> essentially we do need to have some type of rules put in play because to be honest a lot of people don't need to own them right yeah. they don't have the time and the skill to own a dog of that magnitude mm -hmm. like the, the bully i brought back to la when the chihuahua's out has to be muzzled has to be so for people at home that have two dogs that got into an anim animal fight the way I handle it is this. I want to make sure that they never get to rehearse that behavior again. So the dog was taught to be put in a muzzle if it's out around the chihuahua. Excuse me. The dog was um, put in a muzzle around the chihuahua. The chihuahua needs a leash on. The pity needs a leash on. The bully needs a leash on. And any interactions that happen, you know, there will be no fights because the dog has the muzzle on. And even if there is something, let's say worst case scenario comes off, leashes on to, to cut the drive of the dog before it escalates. You just made a great video on how to break up a dog fight. That's the education people need to own animals of that magnitude. Do you think that's sustainable for them, for this family to live like this? <clears throat> well, I'm not here. Here's the truth. I'm here to help you keep your dog alive. So if you, I tell them, you make the choice. Do you want to keep the dog or you want to put it down? You know, I, I think that it either should have been in my head. It's one family member that doesn't plan on staying in that situation for that long, like moving out on their own. So mm -hmm. I said, yeah, it's sustainable because when you move out on your own, you'll, the dog will be still right, young got it. and it's worth it. For someone that's stuck in that situation, maybe it's not. Maybe rehoming the dog to a yep. one one dog household might be better. Or, you know, maybe the chihuahua has to go. You just you you choose. But owning a dog is tough. And sometimes tough decisions need to be made. A thousand percent. I agree with you that. Know, if your dog is biting other dogs and other people, you're going to have to get it fixed. And also, your dog has practiced the behavior. Right. It's kind of like getting a tattoo. Right? You get a tattoo. If I want to do, if I want my tattoo gone, I have to get laser tattoo removal. Mm -hmm. But there's still scars. Mm -hmm. So that's what happens with a lot of these behaviors. Right. So Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's almost like uh, somebody explained it to me uh, this way a while back. It was like, so you're american you move out to i don't know thailand or somewhere somewhere where they speak a different language you learn that language and you you never see another american again so you don't speak english at all you just speak this other language and somebody comes up to you and says hey how's it going you think you're just gonna forget or are you gonna go hey hello like even if it was 10 years later and you haven't said one word in english you think you're gonna forget just like that i don't think so no. i think you're still gonna know some of that mm -hmm. so i i think that there's always a possibility that one of these behaviors can come up. A hundred percent. I actually know? think that we should plan. I plan for them to come up. Yeah. The biggest um, 
myth about boarding trains is that we're taking your dog, we're fixing it, and we're bringing it back fixed. One, what is fixed? Two, every right. dog's different. Yeah. And I would argue that you needed most of the training anyways, and you created the problems that I have to fix. Mm-hmm. A lot of these aggressive dogs, people are doing things to the dog, and it's reinforcing for them, meaning the dog wants to do it more. Yeah, I think that people, before they even send their dogs to a boarding train, they have to make the decision of like, I am going to shift. I am going to be okay with this dog coming up to me, wanting me to pet him and not pet him. Like they got to, and and I I think that's the hardest thing. I had a client, he wanted one of those uh, alibi or whatever those called, these big old, big old dogs from, I think, Armenia or something like that. And I'm like, bro, you could, like, you can't even handle your corso. I'm like, and, and he's not even, you know, I'm like, and you want bring this dog in? I'm like, you're going to have some problems. I'm like, he's like, well, you, you need to help me with my course. So I'm like, I did. <laughs> I was like, but you don't want to change the way you're doing certain things. It has to be good habits have to be installed. And also our job as trainers is making sure that it's easy to do it every day. Yeah. Right. So it's our, in my opinion, it's making sure they're set up. To have the schedule, I'll literally sit down and help my clients with a routine. Whatever's right. holding you back, right? I just can't do it all for you. Right. right. Some crazy clients I've had ask me, hey, can I hire a dog walker? You train them on all this and they interact. I'm like, no, because no. what about when you want to have the dog and you wanted to do something? Right. Dogs are relationship animals. They yep. want to a relationship. Yeah. And like I told him, I, yeah, we, we talk about it all the time. You know, my but just my, you know, your son might view you a certain way than how he views his mom. And depending on who instills, uh, you know, the style of discipline that each one has, he might view you a little different. He might respect one a little bit more than he respects the other one. You know, so and I think it's the same thing with dogs. I mean, we see it all the time. Oh, he's fine with my wife or he's fine with my husband, but he's not fine with the other one. They don't listen. Well, because you're obviously not keeping up with the same exact rules and structure you know and dogs need patterns a thousand percent they don't have the pattern creatures it have it it doesn't learn yeah. so i think that when it comes down to how we train these owners we have to set them up for success we have to actually account for all the little marginal errors that can happen like right. what's going to happen when they're in the elevator and a dog we ask them to down and then the elevator opens up right yeah so all of these things need to be conditioned to the dog mm-hmm. yep uh, and that's our approach with dog training in Atlanta. Is we we don't do that many dogs, but we make sure we create a dog that is sustainable for your life. Right. Uh, and we get, like, this bully case was pretty tough. We get some hard dogs. One question I got actually speaking about rescues is how do you guys integrate a rescue or a foster into your family? How What's your approach to adding dogs to the pack? I mean, obviously, you have to see at the pack dynamic and who is the, who is the dog in there that, you know, and, and how they interact. And when, they, when you bring that one, I would definitely do it outside of the home first and maybe take them on a walk and see how they interact. And and then you're going to see what issues are, you're going to have inside the house. You know, obviously, there has to be boundaries of like, hey, if you're going to be petting this dog, make sure this one knows that it's not his turn. It's going to be this dog's turn. And you could take turns with each dog and they have to view you as the main person there calling the shots. Mm. And I think that's the hardest part when you bring in. Uh, a new dog if one of the dogs there feels like he's leading the pack he's going to be checking that dog making sure that he establishes himself as the main one mm-hmm. you know and i do see that a lot and you know a lot of people they they'll bash like they'll, they'll talk about you know caesar milan and how he's how he spoke a lot about you know the 
being the pack leader and this and that, but it really does come down to that. I mean, you see it all the time. If you're around, nothing, they're all good. And all of a sudden you leave, you leave the equation and you leave them alone. They're going to, they're going to become what they become. And if there's two males there and you know, if there was a female there and she was in heat, I guarantee you those two males will probably end up fighting. Well, it's like in any, any like endeavor, there is a leader and if you, this person calls the shots, right? Right. So in dog training right now, people are arguing that alpha dominance pack leader. I think those are all triggering trigger words that the force free community and like positive only trainers are using. To right. Like put us up against each other. But the truth is, is there needs to be someone saying this is how it's going to go. And this is how it's not going to go. Right. Yep. If that's not there, then there is no, then they're going to decide. So it's not a matter of that you need to, should you be the pack leader, you should be there to make decisions for your dog. It has the brain of a toddler. Mm-hmm. It cannot be making decisions. Right. I agree with you. So that's my, my, my point of view on that. What do you think, Ro? Uh, what was the question again? So we were asking, Introducing how do you introduce a rescue or a foster into the family? Into the family or with other dogs? Both, actually. What's your perspective well, with, on that? Well, in, into the family, then it would just be, you know... If you're gonna, if you're going to a foster, then bring the family to the foster. See if it, uh, wherever they're meeting the dog to see if they interact with the dog has any behaviors with maybe small children because a lot of dogs don't know what a small human is. They see a small human, they think it's not a human. Um, so I, you know, if you if you're introducing the family to a dog, then bring the family with you when you go to to find these dogs that you're looking for. Introducing a dog into the family with other dogs, I would take the same approach. Take them on a walk. Uh, let them get to know each other from a distance first, just being in the same vicinity, knowing there's another dog there. A dog can smell another dog across this room. They don't need to get right next to each other to smell them. I don't need to get in front of the dog's face and stick my hand in his face for the dog to smell me. The dog, they can smell each other. They can smell us. Once they've gotten a little bit more comfortable, um, sometimes what I'll do at, when I have boarding trains is I'll just leave one in the crate while the other ones get to run around. They can smell each other, kind of get to know each other like that. I'll maybe spend a day or two of them not meeting at all just being in the same area in the crate or in the dog run next to each other, somewhere where they're not going to get hurt. That way I can see if this dog, how this dog is reacting. Do they want to play? Are they hackles up? Are they insecure? Are they running into the corner trying to get away from everybody? That way you kind of have an idea of how this dog is going to respond when they're out of the crate. Uh, and then when I do introduce them, it's there's no tension. It's not on leash. If one dog is going to be on leash, it's going to be the new dog, uh, sorry, the old dog. So the new dog can get away if it feels like it needs to. Um, unless that dog has behavioral issues, but there's just so many variables really like we can go into. Um, but the basic, the most basic thing for me would be on a leash walking without them actually getting to interact with each other. And then maybe having one in a crate or behind some kind of barrier where they can smell each other without fighting. I think that would be the best for, for me personally. That should also work when friends are trying to meet other friends, dogs. We have normalized, um, dogs meeting head on, on Mm -hmm. leash and as we can see clip after clip, how it leads to fights, I think a one alternative to that is if you have a dog, let's just go for a walk together. Let's see how the dogs do with some form of structure, mm-hmm. right? Let's not take the training wheels off before we've seen proof that the dogs can coexist normally. Right. Uh, so if you have a dog that you're introdu- you're trying to introduce your dog to, take them on a walk. Maybe you guys both need to be able to call your dogs, mm-hmm. right? I personally like having a drag line, like let's yeah. say... Yep. The dog, you know, we we don't know. So yep. it's better we have a line on the dog so we can pull them away 
when we see things escalate. So that that's kind of how I encourage people to meet other dogs in general. When bringing in a foster or a rescue, uh, a key thing is just managing boundaries too. It's learning the new dog's boundaries, what makes them feel comfortable. Dogs love to create and protect space. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So reading how they do that, you know, it, tight spaces, dogs can get nasty. Mm-hmm. If you've only had one dog, you never had the opportunity to see how your dog reacts to certain things. Right. So watching out those tight spaces, watching how they react in the crate, you know, dogs tend, I think dogs can be a little jealous sometimes, like you said, petting one dog at a time and letting the other dog know, hey, not right now. Right. Because sometimes they're needy and demanding. Right. Humans create a very needy and demanding pets thousand percent uh and we just need to make sure that everybody's boundaries are respected just yep. like in any friendship relationship we all have boundaries can't cross this line and i would hire i would hire a dog trainer even for one lesson like hey i'm gonna bring a new dog in can you come and see if there if there's anything that you see that could cause issues i man i was walking with my wife and we buy we walk by this dog park and i see this dog seeing another dog that's about to come in he's walking down the street and i see the way he's acting going back and forth and i tell my wife i said look there's gonna be a fight right now and this owner still even though they see and the, the owner of the dog that's inside is just hanging out watching he's not putting a stop to it he's not saying you know what let me put my dog on leash so i could we could do this the right way no this dog is running the fence it looks like he exercises this somewhere else as well and then as soon as this dog comes up this dog just like jumps on him you know like literally like jumped on him and like growled got got all over it and i'm just like i can't believe they didn't see this coming like you know but i get it they're not dog people they're not they're not us you know they're, yeah. they're they haven't they been around. Oscar. and i'm just <laughs> no but i was just like and, and as much as i wanted to like go in there and say something you know like hey like this is gonna happen like a lot of people get offended by that you know if i if i'm talking bad about their dog like dude your dog's an asshole like we literally got a bad review because one of our trainers called the dog a jerk. So to me, it was like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to overstep, you know, I'm not going to be that guy where they're like, Oh, he just thinks he knows everything. No. So, but I told my wife, I said, look, there's going to be a dog fight right now. And sure enough, they went at it and then they separated them. And the guy puts his dog on leash. Finally, I'm like, bro, you could have done that from the beginning because you knew what was going to happen. You know, your dog's an asshole. Yeah. Like, Put a leash on your dog. You yeah, it's know? not like it's going to change this time. You can, dogs that are reactive, it's not the first time. No. The first time is like a bark or pulling hair up on the neck. That's mm-hmm. the first time. Yeah. Then every time it gets worse because the dog learns they can get better at it and yeah. it also becomes more reinforcing. Yep. I got away with it before. Yep. I thought it's normal. Yep. And and I see, I mean, we I see it coming. Right now, Moses is, is going to be, I don't know, 10 months or something like that. And I see the way he's interacting with Guapo, my older one, and he's bugging him a little bit. Like if he doesn't have something in his mouth... He's want, he's just bugging them, you know, and I could see it like changing. It's about to shift pretty soon. And that's another thing that people need to realize, like, hey, it depends on the dog's age. How is it? How is acting right now does not mean it's going to be like that in four months when he hits mm-hmm. that that stage, that For maturity sure. stage. They change. Yeah. And so and, and I see it. And, I, and so now I got to think, OK, how am I going to how am I going to stop this from happening? Well, first off, I'm going to put a leash on this dog every time I bring him out. And when he's when he is getting like that, I'm going to let him know, hey. You can't do that, you yeah. know. Um, so it's 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 important for us to read body language and and read and 
don't just let the dog and see what happens. I know, know there's a ton of like body language experts on dogs recently. <laughs> oh my goodness. Everybody wants to be a body lock. Oh my god, bro. Expert. Don't even come at don't even come <laughs> at me with that. Somebody I'm literally working my dog with treats, bro, and he's licking his lips thinking he's about to get a treat and they're saying that he's stressed out. Same thing happened to me with my dogs. Like I, they're they're also licking their lips out of anticipation of getting food. I don't I think uh. that they're they're kind of taking that out of the equation as to why dogs lick their lips because I've been working the dog, maybe expectations. Listen, bro. No matter what we do, they're gonna they're gonna like. There's literally a page just talking about other dog trainer, other balanced dog trainer videos, and they dissect the video. You know, bro. If you if you want to find some shit, you're gonna. I mean, you're gonna make people believe whatever you want them to believe. I could look at your pure positive uh, training video and let you know exactly what issues you're gonna cause by what you're doing if I try hard enough. Yeah. It's 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 mind blowing, and I and I think that body language should be taught. Mm-hmm. We should be able to. I think for you, you're asking what's something that people want that you know. As you create this new online course, maybe you can come up with a body language breakdown, or maybe you can come up with how to greet your dog, etc. Because this is education that people need. But I also think. It can't become marketing techniques from other right. people. Hey, the dog, look at this dog. One, if I have a dog that is very comfortable um, going after other animals, maybe when it looks at an animal, it should be a little concerned. Right. Right? right. Maybe it looks and then it sees it and it's like, nope, I'm not going to do it. I know better. I get corrected. The risk but, reward. Yep. Yeah. And it's time to be transparent about what corrections look like mm-hmm. you know because the truth is let's go into that a little bit yeah I, I i personally think that when you're dealing with these these cases i personally think slip lead is the best way to go with animal aggression i don't like attaching e-collars prong collars to that because uh, those are tools that you might use for obedience mm. and i in the beginning at least i think to manage situation slip lead obviously going up cutting off oxygen is going to make the animal prioritize what is the most important survival right right? uh and i think that's how i approach it then obviously you must replace that desire to go after another animal and to focus on something else right so it's kind of like an alcoholic when they want alcohol they have to focus and change the energy into something else so that's my approach with it and of course strict management afterwards Mm -hmm. don't let the dog get another bite in the dog gets another bite and it's like reinforcing, like you said, you're never going to forget English, even if you didn't speak 10 years and you're in Thailand. Right. What's y'all's standpoint? I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I think that, you know, uh, we do need to be a little bit more, uh, you know, open about how we do things. Uh, but I do feel like we're very gun shy because even though we know we might be saving this dog's life, we could also be... Um, messing up our life because there's people out there literally looking for any excuse to come after you. Yeah. And, uh, and so it, it is a little bit like, all right, I'll just, I'll, I'll make sure that, you know, with my private clients, I tell them exactly what we're going to do, how we're going to fix this. Uh, sometimes it could look a little ugly, but that is what is required Yeah, for that. Would they need to go through something like that? And it's fine if you don't want to do it that route, like, but some of these people cannot do and they, they cannot deal with dogs the way you can by moving them around, by playing, you know, uh, 
musical chairs, moving dogs around, and and you know they're not gonna be able to be clicking and feeding and this and that every single day of this dog's life. They just can't do that. That's not how they operate. That's not they they have a job. They work overtime. She's 70 years old. She cannot do that, you know? And so as dog trainers, me, I'm going to do whatever I have to do in order to save this dog's life so that this family could enjoy That's what their we get life hired together. To we don't get hired to please other other folks. I agree. I think uh, a big problem, too, is we're so worried about what colleagues had to say but let's if we all came together we've seen how many dogs are transformed from these tools mm -hmm. and we have our own studies of these tools then now you know you don't have these groups or collectives of people trying to call everything abusive i've had people say that hand feeding is abusive hand feeding you go to work you get a job you get paid two weeks later that's almost the same thing to me because you use that money to buy food and to to basically survive i mean putting a dog in a crate is abusive even though if you did get in a car accident and he flies out the window he's gonna die but putting him in a crate is abusive well we're in a crate right now oscar we're in your in your workplace so yeah. i don't understand i mean i i i i'm our i could already like bro i i call them out i could see them and be like yeah I, i'm already i, I block them i yeah. block every i block a lot of people you know that come at me like that but um you know i think that what you were saying is very important and I think that we need a safe space where we could actually let people know, hey, this is how it's done. That's why I look up to people like Robert Cabral and Larry Crone and, uh, you know, all the a lot of people that even people in the industry might not respect. I always go back. I mean, like we were talking about earlier, I see Tom Davis. All of you guys have probably seen Tom Davis on YouTube and everything. And many people I've heard in the past talk about his techniques. And then I go to the comments and I see how many people are happy and, you know, saying how he helped them with whatever he's working on at that point. I go, look, he is, you know, adding something to the dog culture and he's helping people deal with their dogs. You do the same thing. That's all that you matters. Know? Uh, so to me, at the end of the day, that is what matters. Now, if you want to go out and say, well, he's, you know, they're overcorrecting dogs and this and that. The results are in the pudding. What are people saying? And people are happy with the results. That is, And dogs are not getting euthanized. And dogs are not getting euthanized. So I would argue that the tools are pivotal in, pivotal in the dog not getting euthanized. It's crucial for the dog to, to exist. I think people are happy with it. And you ultimately have to let people make the choice for them. Some people would rather euthanize than to fix it. Correct the dog and That's fix actually it. Actually, becoming that is where the extremes can take us. That is crazy. The extremes can take us to hey, this dog shouldn't. You shouldn't even be able to domesticate a dog. That's right. The truth is, if we all love dogs, we would let them be in the wild. Right. If we it, owning a dog is very selfish. I tell my clients this: owning a dog is very selfish. If you really love the dog, could just be right now doing whatever it wants. Right. But you're domesticating the animal for for yourself. So I I actually. Think about this all the time. It's important for us to realize that me taking this dog, making it a pet, and making it do what I needed to do is selfish. I think it's... It's for us. Yeah. I mean, we enjoy the dog. We enjoy the dog. Yeah. yeah. Of course, I tell them, make sure there's an outlet for the dog. Make sure the dog gets a moment to be a dog. But for the most part, you're structuring this dog to become something that is in your family. Right. Mm -hmm. So But, let's but even then, people think that what? Just because we add obedience that they're not, they don't get to be dogs? Bro, my dogs get to be... 
dogs 95% of the time. Yeah. They're literally in the yard hanging out, playing with their chew toys that I get them. And they're just hanging out. But people don't see that. Yeah, I love and they, those. They, they should they, see it. That's they literally, they, but I know, but what, what is it going to do? You're going to put a video of them just playing there? I mean, I should probably just, look, this is what my dog does. And I'll show the camera. And he's just there gnawing on his bone. But it's like, what do you guys think? That I haven't focused healing all, all day? Every dogs, time I take them on a walk? Dogs are not supposed to be robots. Like, no shit. Yeah. We know that. <laughs> Bro, my dog experiences more freedom than most dogs. Most dogs. That's the point I like to make, too. I love to tell folks, you don't want to use this tool, but this tool is going to give your dog more freedom. It's going to give you more freedom. So you can pick your, like, however you want to do that. At first, I was anti-e collar with my dog that I had in training. The trainer brought it around. I took it out. I started using it, and I could walk my dog without a leash. Not to saying that that's what I encourage people to do, but it's nice to know that relationship-wise, I was able to get to that point. Right. Of course, now when I'm at that point, I can maintain it with, hey, using the ball, using the dog's food. But the whole point is, is we have to get there. Yeah. I yep. think ethical e-collar training needs to be put out there. I agree. And I also think I want to do a better job of showing them, hey, this is what a correction looks like. It's not, the dog's not shut down. I have dogs take corrections, tail wagging, tongue out, ready to go again. And I, right. I've seen them in your dogs. Yeah, as long as the dog understands that it's fair, right? Um, I think a lot of the mistakes, too, is that a lot of the corrections we see on social media, there's a lot of emotion from the handler, and it makes it look like a, like a, you know, a lot yeah. of anger, a lot of frustration. And, and, you know, we all get frustrated, right? But the videos we see, you get somebody who's mad or angry, and they correct the dog with the prong collar, or they correct the dog with the e collar. We we saw the dog uh, from Riverside this past week. Yeah. The police officer. Yeah, exactly. Um, what what is your take on that? So I watched that video and I saw the full clip. The full clip is not really out circulating. The full clip, the dog. I mean, the cop brings the dog out the car, and the dog is already anticipating the bite. It's like in sport work. Mm -hmm. The dog's already anticipating the bite, and since he's being held back, he looks back to his off the the handler twice. The third time, he just so happened to um, redirect onto him. People don't understand that these are tough dogs. Meaning, what does tough mean? Meaning, they understand pictures, anticipating, and they want the reward. That dog wanted his reward before he was ready to get it. Mm -hmm. They prepare and train for these moments, but at the same time, the dog needs a correction. And there was no leash on. I did not see e-collar on. And most people don't understand is what these dogs, e-collars might push them into drive. Prong so might, might do the same, yeah. There's different types of dogs out there. There are people who like to skydive. There are people who like tattoos. There are people who chase adrenaline, yep. which means scary things feel great. Yeah. There are dogs where scary things feel great. So that dog seemed like what we would consider an endorphin dog, a dog where maybe since there's no prong and e-collar on the dog, like it, that might push him into bite mode more. Yeah. So I think the dog getting slammed might've been necessary for that communication because there's no tools, but I disagree maybe with the punching, I think a, a jab back to the car. I think in the moment correction happens, get your tools on and get back to it. Put your tools on so yeah. you can do the job and, and then you also have to serve and protect the community. I, I question if the dog was necessary in the first place, in my opinion. It looked yeah. like the other cop was pretty chill, asking the guy, do you have a taser? Yeah. I mean, maybe he was taking it as a training opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. That's what it looked like. And, uh, you know, he was probably like, well, this is a picture that I could show, you know, and, and it could, it, he could probably train from it. And, 
and maybe it'll be a good learning experience. I mean, maybe. Who knows? We don't know the full situation of how it went down. We don't know the priors of this dog, whether he already bit a few other people before. So, and it looked like he was, you know, he was handling, you know, sometimes you'll see them come out and they're, you know, they have harnesses on sometimes even and all that. He had them from the collar. I mean, he obviously didn't want to get bit. Yeah, he didn't want to get bit. So he did that. Now, do I think that maybe he got a little bit frustrated? A thousand percent. I mean, that, yeah, that happens sometimes. Mouth was on his hand. Yeah, you know, it, it happens. And, you know, sometimes we get our emotions come yeah. in and that, bro, that is part of the, you know, that is part of life. Like, that happens sometimes. Does he I, deserve to be canceled, in my opinion? No. No. We don't know the history of the dog. No. The dog could have redirected on other handlers. He yeah. might be the handler that's trying to fix the problem. Yeah. Listen, I, bro, and, and let's, let's be honest. I mean, we have been around... I've been around for a while. I have seen some really, really bad corrections. That was not a bad corrections compared to some of the corrections I have seen before. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. So, uh, and and the thing is that a lot of dog trainers will go out there and bash and bash about what could have been done better. I could go again, go into like go into detail about like, oh, he should have done this. Listen, first of all, they're playing for real. Exactly, we're playing for sport. You're not there. He's there. In the heat of the moment, you made a valid point that this could have been a learning or prep work for something that's serious. A thousand percent. Something serious means that this dog needs to perform or else this person doesn't come home yep. to their family. And it's better to find out there, you know, uh, than, than maybe something where, like you said, they probably have the guy. And again, we can't see past that guy but or whatever, but we don't know what the issue was there. Maybe this guy had priors that you know, required that type of pressure. Um, but yeah, we don't know the full extent of it. You know, yeah. now for me, if if I was looking at it from a sports side, which is not real, um, I would say, well, what can we do to work on this issue? So what is an what is a exercise that we could work with this issue that this dog is having right now, you know? And that's what, that's where my training, where I, I feel like I would want to dissect that and work that dog in those types of scenarios. It will take some time to, to work on and fix or whatever. And then we would still have to see if it translates into the real into world. Into the real deal. Cause the because, dog knows when it's real, knows when their handler is sweating, the, it, the, it the could hormones. Be that any tr- I mean, there's so many things that, that dogs see that we don't see. Smell, you know. Uh, they, I mean, again, I'll go back real quick. I, I'm doing an exercise right now for my French ring too, where it's called the scene retrieve, and you bring a, a glove out of your pocket, you drop it, the dog picks it up, and he brings it back to you. He comes in front, right? I've been I've been working on this a lot. That now he's anticipating. Even if I'm not going to do that exercise, I say OPA, and he thinks he's going to do that exercise. Why? Well, because maybe the way I'm moving, the way I'm I'm doing certain things that he's reading that are causing him to anticipate getting into that position, mm-hmm. you know? So, again, we don't know this dog. We don't know this officer. I know he's, I, I've heard he has many years doing this. He's not new. And this dog did not give two shits about that correction. Yeah, that's so I think that's also a valid point is was it a correction? My question in my mind was, did the dog perceive it as a correction? And I don't think so. It didn't didn't look like he took it as a correction. So it's what we think is a correction. The dog didn't even take as a correction. And 
and uh, and you know, going back, and I, I think I've meant, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. That is our job too. Uh, away from uh, changing the subject, as trainers, is to see what this dog takes as a correction from its owner. You know, if we go back to Vic, well, maybe when you say no, that dog goes, oh shoot. Mm-hmm. But then if he says no, it's like, nah, I don't, it doesn't mean the same thing. There's no common denominator. The you know what I'm saying? Empowered. Or, but maybe if he stomps his foot, maybe to the, to the dog, maybe that's a correction. Yeah. And so at that point you go, well, I know how I would do it. I know what marker I would use. Should he do it that way? Or should he do use the way that you see as a trainer that the dog took as a correction? For me, I would say use whatever the dog saw as a correction use that as your correction because he took that as a correction if, if that's a stomp if that's moving towards the dog if that's whatever it is use that as your correction it's gonna be real hard to get rid of those habits out of owners they've been yeah. doing it and rehearsing it for a while so i i just want to make sure that they they can stomp i just don't want them yelling right that's fine because i feel like yelling which you're creating a dog that starts to listen at certain um parameters right, right. like you're conditioning that but i agree trying to like clean up all of their dirty habits when it comes to that is like, hey, say no. Make sure you use the tool or whatever you're supposed to use. Mm-hmm. And let's just move forward that way. Um, but, yeah, back to the Riverside situation. I don't think it's fair for the police officer to be removed. I don't think it's fair for that dog. Cause, and that, that that's a tricky dog because from the dog's perspective, I wonder if it's it was a correction. You know what? They I don't even think they realize what they're doing sometimes. You know, because they're so... In t- high and drive that they don't even realize what they're doing sometimes and you know what i'm saying and and then it's unfair for us to really correct them for something that we have created like that dog has probably gotten so many bites going out and so many bites so many bites i mean before the department probably even got this dog he was getting a shit ton of bites you know what i'm saying so now he's like yo this is changing now this is you know i'm not allowed to get a bite because sometimes they could bring them out and they don't get a bite so the dog has to learn how to go through that, you know? Yeah, it's like getting out the car and going straight on the field with sport dogs, you know? Bro, you they always go straight. Yeah. yeah, you always take your dog, put it in a kennel, drive to a field. It, and you, and they you, remember the picture, you yeah. know? So we had to replace things. Maybe, like you said, I think that might be a, a great way to condition the dog going forward. Get out the car, no bite. Right. Just playing with the dog. Right. I don't see... Uh, that many police canine handlers playing with their dogs. Yeah, I think through play, that's how I would approach it. And I think I talked about it with somebody else. I said through play, I would work on those impulses. I would, uh, you know, or shoot, even in a training scenario, say the guy is there. He comes out, the dogs, he turns the dog on. Maybe he drags the dog all the way to the bite, or maybe the bad guy comes all the way and gives him a bite in place. Yeah. So it's breaking the chain of expectation what that dog is expecting, that where you can create new habits or new you know new pathways that the dog can take and he yeah. sees as options. There's too much hope for the man and too much power in the reward that the dog doesn't believe that their own handler matters. So that's what it seems like. So and uh, and again, I I don't want you guys to take this as you know, I uh, this is just me thinking out loud. That that does not. I don't know this dog. I don't know anything about this. So don't think it as like, oh, I would do better or I. Yeah. No, I think in I, the moment, a lot of us might have done the same. Truth, truth. Yeah. It, it's not necessary. Like in the heat of the moment, dog redirect on you. You're gonna tell them no, and you're gonna move them away from you. Unless yeah, unless you've been in that situation, you yeah. yeah. You're gonna move the dog away from a thousand percent. Yeah. No one's gonna take the bite. 
and say, I'm going to think about this later. Right. So uh, kudos to that officer. Um, I would say, you know, he probably reflected and, and is working on doing better. Right. I just think maybe the way we're developing dogs also always getting them to the man, always biting, always. Yeah, this. I mean, definitely Too much driven work without keeping things in balance is bad for any dog. And I do think that uh, just my opinion, more uh, police officers need to learn how to just play with their dog. Yeah, it's um, not just more people, it. more people. Yeah. Pet owners, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone. My biggest takeaway in this California trip. Shout out to Joe Sinate out in Santa Clarita is playing with the dog. Yep. You know, it can solve a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. It can also build a lot of relationship. Mm -hmm. So when I'm when I came out here, I was working my sport dog Vega with him who has is pretty dirty with outing and whatnot. And I was always trading with him. The trading was almost leading to direct redirection like that police officer mm -hmm. where he would let go of the ball and look to my hand for yeah. another. So we had to stop trading. Right. So we're using the leash, using our tools to get the dog to out. Once the dog has a little bit more faith that when he outs, he can get the ball. Mm -hmm. Faith, stable. Now you can get the ball. Now he's just doing it on his own. Yeah. But sometimes you do need the pressure. You do need some assistance to help the dog make a decision. Mm -hmm. We're all under pressure. I Like all humans are under pressure. If I don't work, I don't eat. Yeah. Right? You guys have families. You don't work. You don't eat. Yep. No animals living a pressure-free life. No. Nah. A force-free life. Yeah, you're doing a disservice by not adding any uh, any pressure. But with that comes hopefulness, too. Yeah. Like, I know that if I work hard enough that things can happen. Yeah, we're know? here in this yeah. beautiful studio because of your hard work. Right. So, to me, I'm like, you know... Uh, people that it's a disservice to not adding pressure because when the pressure does come and it will they don't know how it. to deal with it exactly freeze flight i tell people yeah. you know if you don't teach your child how to overcome stress when they experience stress they shut down right do you want to create a dog that shuts down when they're when they experience stress no what if you create a dog when they experience stress they overcome it mm -hmm. through obedience or behavior yep yep Yep, so, yep, yep. I know we got some questions. Yeah, uh, let me see. How can I train my dog to leash to loose leash walk, but not a focus heel and in between? Okay. So the dog needs to have drive to what they need to know when to focus on you and when not to focus on you. So it's always great to train behaviors and opposites to do what you want, also not to do what you want. So the focus heel could be great. So the dog knows when to look at you. So then now when they're not looking, you can also tell them to do what you want. Right. The way I train the loose leash walking is typically I line up against the wall. The dog needs to go through me kind of like a tunnel and turn and stand next to my leg. Once they know how to enter the position, then now we're building up hope to stay in the position that it pays to stay. Just feeding the dog while it's staying. And then we can start to move. Right. Then I will layer. So positive reinforcements. Great to start. But the reality is in the world, you're going to have other motivators that your dog that you are competing with. So we need to prepare your dog for the inevitable correction. So then we'll layer in tools, whether that's slip, prong, E, e-collar, to push the dog into a wanted behavior when there is no distraction. So that when there is a distraction, I can use the tool. Now, one 
thing about the e-collar while we talk about it is you hear a lot of trainers talk about using it at a low level. The reality is, yes, we're using it at a low level to start, but we're progressing to moderate or levels that the dog experiences discomfort so that they no longer want to do, right? That's the truth. Mm -hmm. So when the dog understands that, we use it less. Right. And now we can reinforce them through play or food because they're making wiser choices. Right. Right. So you can get a loose leash walk with a slip, with a with a, with any tool you want, but it's a matter of being consistent, the dog's understanding, and not progressing too soon. Start in the house, then you go to your front yard, backyard, and then we tell our clients mailbox to mailbox. Maybe you don't go on walks. Maybe you just do drills for 10 minutes mm-hmm. and you go for a walk. Yep. That needs to be normalized. Mm-hmm. I think people get a dog, go for a walk. Get a dog, drill the dog, and then go for a walk. Yep. Get a dog, let it sniff, drill the dog, then go for a walk. You know, So the dog knows at least once I go outside, it's not free game. It's I am putting on my work clothes. I'm clocking in. I'm doing this work. And then I have moments of releases to be a dog. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. That's my approach. That's good. Next question. Dog is very food motivated and somewhat toy motivated. Any tips on increasing toy drive? I think in that case, increasing the toy drive, it depends. I don't know. I think like you guys, we we had to see things. But including, uh, I like the ball on a string because we can make it a little bit more alive. You can have it chase. If a dog has low um, toy drive, maybe you need to make it more like a it's chasing prey, mm-hmm. right? Uh, flirt pole, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know what dog we're looking at. But that's how we can increase toy drive is ball on a string, flirt pole, back tying. Yep. I think pet owners should learn more about back tying their dog. A lot of pets, when I put them on a back tie, are not comfortable. For folks at home, it's simply tying your, da- uh, tying your dog up or tethering them up to a wall and them hitting the end of the line. Maybe you're playing with them. And if your dog gets flat and they don't want to play anymore, that's fine. But if you really want to build toy drive, you'll put them up. Right? So they lose access to you. They have to go in their kennel. When they come out the kennel, play again. So if you continue, if the dog comes out the kennel, you're putting things out of balance to where it's always play, 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 play. Now when the dog loves playing, okay, now we can balance things back out. You're not playing as much. Cool. I think that uh, through creating frustration, uh, more drive can be created through some conflict. More drive comes through conflict. Uh, what does that look like? Maybe you holding your dog back. Like right now I'll hold my dog's, my ball here and I could put a, uh, my padded stick in front of my dog and not let him get this ball and he just starts barking at it. So there's a bunch of different types of games that you can do with your dog to create more drive. But frustration, leave uh, keeping them uh, wanting the toy when you put them away will create some drive. Uh, making sure that they get wins. Sometimes what we do is we make them miss, miss, miss and it's almost like they lose hope that they could even get this toy. So make sure that you let them grab the ball on the first try sometimes uh, just so they have hopefulness that they are going to be able to get it. Uh, that's a big issue that I see some people do. They'll make a miss, miss, miss. They don't get anything. And some dogs will drop, dip and drive instead of go up and drive. So those are a couple of things that I would do. So key takeaways is read your dog, learn when they're doing well. And maybe that's when you let them have the toy in full. I would say put the toy on a leash or have the toy on a line yep. so you can take it away when they're not interested. Yep. And I think a big, big one is just don't leave toys on the ground. Yeah. Right. Make, and go ahead. Build Ron. some value in the toy by not letting them have it all the time. Yeah. Yep. And making them possessive over it. 
I mean, literally where they have the ball and you're trying to steal it and they, they're holding it, that is going to increase some drive too because when you do take that toy from them, they're going to go, holy shit, I want that back. Yeah. And so through possession is another uh, is another way of increasing yeah. drive. That will get taken out of context by people. They'll be like, oh, Oscar's creating resource gardens. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you have an opportunity to steal the toy away from your dog, it looks, it looks away or it lets go for whatever reason. You steal it, I would put the toy away and then... You know, put the dog up. Put the dog yeah. up. Yeah. This this is a good one. Uh, my dog keeps randomly spinning, or when given commands, she will spin. So uh, things are out of balance towards spinning, and also it's like an OCD thing for dogs. Maybe that's how the dog copes with stress. Uh, I seen that. Also, healers are known for doing that. My healer spins sometimes if I'm petting the other dog. So I can tell you that's a, a stress management thing. What I would do for that is. I would start to read the situations and study the situations where the dog is spinning to see if there's a pattern, like you said, a cue mm -hmm. that we're doing where the dog's spinning. Uh, another thing is, is having the leash on. Put the leash on them. Right? So that I can intervene when the dog spins and I can put them in a down. I can push them into something else. Mm -hmm. That's my approach towards it. Stop training spin. Because mm -hmm. I think maybe the dog has been For trained sure. to spin. And Start training other things more so that dog believes it pays more to do something else than to spin. Yep, yep. Try to keep that dog right at the, at the threshold where you think he's about to spin and make sure that you pay him there so that the dog just anticipates you paying instead of him having to spin. Sometimes we're working a dog, they spin, then we we'll, might give him a command or something, and then we pay him anyway. So they believe that that is just part of the behavior chain. Mm -hmm. Spinning is part of eventually i will get paid if i do enough spins and they give me enough cues to sit down whatever i'm gonna get paid so really it depends on the dog and see if you could catch it before but i would attach a leash to stop him when uh he's yeah. about to spin yeah more pets should be on leash i'll have a slip lead you spin i go up on the leash when you relax i relax not adding more pressure but i would add pressure mm -hmm. until the dog does what i want release and that's it I think over time, the dog will learn. No need to be complicated. Other things that can help push the dog into wanted behaviors, a down, uh, a going onto your bed, hang out. Maybe other tricks. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're just pushing buttons like levers. Yeah. Hoping that the reward is going to come at some point. That is just how some dogs operate, especially really smart dogs that, you know, uh, that's how they operate. Yeah. So just keep it simple like that. Yep. All right. Do police officers need a dog training standard too? Well, most I believe most dogs have to go through a standard. Yeah, they have a test they have to go through. Temperament test and behavior test. I do think all dog owners need more education. We were talking about it earlier. Play is something that we need to teach people how to teach. We need to teach people how to play with their dog. Because essentially you have a predator, a canine, that likes to chase prey and if it's an intrinsic intrinsic desire that we need to satisfy or else it shows up for police officers, right. redirection, mm -hmm. anticipation, for pet owners, pulling on the leash, barking, lunging, digging. So we have to learn how to play with dogs. There should be some type of standard on playing, as simple as that sounds. Yep. What was the question? Uh, do police officers need a dog training standard too? So it's for the police officer, not for the dogs. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I do feel that they they should invest into a little bit more, uh, you know, education from what I've seen just from my my, you know, not very uh, extended experience with police dogs, because I, I already know how people are, bro. They're going to be like, well, he's a sport dog guy. He's not a police dog guy, whatever. Um, I do feel that 
like you said, everybody could everybody. always use a little bit more. And if there is a standard of like, hey, you got to learn, you know, X, Y, Z before you yeah. could do this more than just handling the dog. Yeah. Um, it goes above that. It goes it goes to, you know, caring for the dog, um, you know, husbandry with the dog, playing with the dog, uh, all that stuff. I think could uh, it couldn't hurt. To, it can only be beneficial. Yeah. Now, These guys love their dog. Yeah. Now, now I'm not saying to uh, you know change the whole industry. I think that I, I hate that. St- I hate when they try to like you know put things like you have to do this. I I do, but I do feel, and I do feel that there are some trainers out there that are that are involved with police dogs that are learning and they're getting better. They're mm-hmm. you know they're learning from the right people. So I I think that it's moving in the right direction. I yeah. believe. Yeah, it is because now there's cameras. So their civilians have eyes all over. Um, but yeah, I agree. More play, learning how to deal with redirection, learning about that tools can push your dog to do things without you knowing it. The question to ask is if you do something to your dog and it doesn't stop it, it was reinforcing it. It's either or. Mm-hmm. So some same thing with police officers. They definitely deserve the best education because they are putting out uh, canines to protect and serve the community. Yeah. So playing is going to be one of the best ways to do that. And maybe department should give them a budget to go to these seminars where some of the top trainers are playing with their dogs and they have crazy issues just like their own dogs. Mm -hmm. I don't think that would hurt. Yep. 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 So uh, I think that's all we got. So Um, the sport dog question, what is it? Sport dog questions. It was for last. It was because that's these guys specialty. Nah, bro. We're interviewing you, bro. (laughs) Look, everything I know, I learned from this guy. So Nah, we're interviewing you. Let me see. I just started French ring, so I'm just starting. That's good. Oh, welcome, welcome. Yeah. Let me see. I'm only doing the sport to get better at training you dogs. You will. You will. And it's, yeah, more, and, and it's more of that. More of like impulses, like, you know, like that type of stuff is like the stuff that you that you need yeah. to learn. That you, you will literally see. And then you'll see certain dogs like once you've done it enough, like I saw his dog at a young age and I could pinpoint this is how this is going to go. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, <laughs> at a certain age, it started shifting that way and I said, this this is where you're going to lose her. Mm-hmm. This is what we do now. This is where we shift. And sure enough, now we're back on track into where, you know, where we were going. Mm-hmm. But if you don't see that early, you run into problems. Some people will be like, I'm just going to give my dog bites all the time. Eat, bro, the dog bites fine. The dog has no issues yeah. And yeah, you're gonna I give it bites thing. nonstop, puppies. And, yeah, and, and I'm not gonna out. I'm not gonna teach it out until he's a year old. So you've never taught this dog to let go. Now at a year old, it's like it's ridiculous. We didn't bro. even let her bite till she was a year old. I yeah, bro, it's ridiculous. Philosophy. I feel like you need to be teaching the dog what potential pictures are gonna look like, and it's only fair to teach the dog as early yeah. as possible without means and basically it's way easier to teach it when it's a puppy yeah. and what's nice about it too is I'm, I'm learning more about my relationship with the dog through french ring yeah i'm learning a lot more through it so yeah it definitely helps me out as a handler and a trainer all right next question how do you know if your dog is a good candidate for biting sports my experience on that is does it bite at a young age uh we see standards are mouse dutch shepherds german shepherds for sports but there are some good off breeds out there that can do bite work most clubs probably are not going to want to invest their hard time into it but i think healers um joe has a, a a staffordshire terrier that's pretty sick to see i think those dogs off breeds can do them a better question to ask 
is do you have the time to invest into bite sports? Do you have the resources? They're not cheap. And are you open-minded? Because to develop a dog that is doing bite sports is a different path than what I would consider a pretty chill pet. A thousand percent. You're creating a sports car. When you do you want a sports car or are you okay with a a family car? And and let's clarify, what do you mean by does it bite at a young age? What is it biting? I'm just saying, is it is it nipping? Right. You know, if I get when I had my healer at a young age, he was he like he was going after he was nipping things. Mm -hmm. You know, so that came natural to the dog. They're doing it because it feels good. So all I need to do is channel that into an outlet. Exactly. So Dutch Shepherd, Mao, you get them. You don't gotta teach them to bite. They're biting. But if you have a dog that doesn't want to bite, you have to teach them to. And I, and if you are taught something versus something you like, what do you go with? Right. I'm going to go with the dog that does it because they like it versus because I taught them to. Yep. So we'll teach dogs how to play with toys. But they still have a higher food drive than toy drive because they like the food more than playing. Yeah, we get it all the time. Can I train my husky to do the? Like you could probably get a BH on them. If you want to do some bite work stuff, I... Probably Just come go do it for fun. It. Yeah. But even then, bro, it's like you're forcing the dog to do something that it really doesn't want to do. Yeah. You Just know? go let it play. Go let it yeah, pull like away. A, a herder wants to chase and bite. Exactly. And and that's probably one of the best answers you can give. How do I know if my dog's good for bite sport? Is it going to chase and bite a rag at a young age? Is is, it does it does it want yeah is it is it going to take the sport as an outlet to let out his natural genetics that he has in him or are you doing it because you just want to be cool and do it. Yeah. yeah. Some dogs aren't, aren't built for it. Yeah, I agree. And then confidence. And trainers don't want to take your lazy dog and right. make it into a sport dog yeah. because your time, you guys want to at least train it. Maybe someone in your club wins. That's a big win. Or seeing your team win. Like you want to see someone put in their all into something. It takes a community to raise a dog. If you see one person with one dog win any trial, it was a decoy. It was a club. It was yeah. a trainer that helped. So when you are trying to put all these resources together to win, you're not trying to waste your time on things that people are doing as dabblers. Right. Not just that, but I just think people need to have a realistic expectations, you know, and, and sometimes people have unrealistic expectations and they really think they got something that they really don't. And, uh, and I think that's when it gets a little bit, uh, hard because you you almost got to turn down people and and it makes you look like you don't want to work with them but it's not that it's just that you don't really see what you have we're just being honest to you yeah you know yeah and i've seen you tell people you want my you want me to be honest <laughs> maybe you should think of another dog or maybe yeah. do something else with this dog yeah so, so and don't be offended try out rally watching. why not try rally yeah out? bh a bh yeah. is cool uh, uh, you can try out other things you yep. don't have to only do bites. Dog diving. They go do dog diving if, well, well the dog would, must have some drive there, too, to jump in. But, you know, they, there's other things that they can do. Yeah. And so, yeah. But uh, anyways, I know we're getting close to the end, and you got a long drive back, yeah. man. 33-hour drive back to Atlanta. <laughs> guys, if you guys are in Atlanta, make sure you guys look him up. Kaisen Where can they K9. find you, brother? At Kaizen K9 on IG. You can click the link in bio, schedule a phone call with us. What we do is focus always on improving communication. I want to say shout out to Ro. He is the man that is doing everything that you're seeing, all the lights. Shout out to Oscar. He is literally an OG in the game. He was reaching out to me when I was just starting off. And I want to say thank you. It's a full circle moment. I'll be back here in L.A. And yeah. Awesome, man. Well, shoot, we appreciate you uh, hanging out, bro. No problem. Thanks, man. Thanks for stopping by. This was awesome. And uh, guys... 
if you guys, uh, you know, make sure you guys go follow us at Elevated Canine Podcast. Uh, subscribe. And uh, you can follow me at Oscar Mora Canines as well as at Elevated Canine Academy. Uh, ECA underscore LG. And then Elevated Canine Media on Instagram for the podcast. And uh, keep an eye out. We're going to be putting out a lot of content here pretty soon. A lot of uh, some some good dog training tips, not just for sport, but a lot of it is for people who've never owned a dog before. So just so you guys know, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram. If you have any questions, please just shoot it our way. Leave a comment. Leave a like and let us know if there's anything we can help you with. Yep. These guys got some big things coming. <laughs> hey, we forgot to tell them. You put, them both, you put an- us on game, bro. Special <laughs> announcement. This team is going to put out some of the best dog training content you will see. They're looking to shift. So you guys need to email them with all the problems you're having so they can create it <laughs> yep. for you. Please. Hit us up. So, guys, thank you guys for hanging with us. Again, make sure you subscribe. And, uh, yeah, elevate your mind. Thank you as well. Uh, I'm sorry. Valeria. Valeria's Valeria. here. Valeria. My, my, my man, really uh, really you know, you. he he's get, he just got engaged over here on his L.A. trip. Shout out to my fiance. Yeah, Valeria. shout out to Valeria. Thank you so much. Thank you, you know, so amazing much. things happen in L.A. You come to L.A., you know, amazing <laughs> things happen. I'm a married man, so, so we yeah, got to acknowledge You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> anyways, we'll see you guys on the next one. Elevate your mind. Elevate your canine. Let's go. That's a good slogan. Let's get it. This that go and get it. With no hesitation. This that never quit. Start that elevation. This that process.